Welcome to the Bike Life Podcast by Warm Showers Foundation, where we will be sharing knowledge, experience, tools, and stories of touring cyclists and hosts from around the world. I'm Tavar Lee, the woman behind the scenes at Warm Showers Foundation, the leading platform for cyclists looking for hosts and to connect with a passionate international community. Find out more by visiting us at warmshowers.org. This Bike Life podcast is brought to you by BikeFlights.com, your source for the best bicycle shipping service and bike shipping boxes. Whether you're shipping for a trip or after a sale, whatever your shipping needs, Bike Flights makes it easy. Take advantage of Bike Flights convenient residential pickups and they'll come and get your shipment directly from your home or wherever you're staying. Visit BikeFlights.com forward slash warm showers for more information. Now on to the show. We are back on Bike Life, and today I have Holly Ernest with me. She is a botanist and forester and is currently teaching kids about bikes and has done short and long tours in both hemispheres. Welcome to the show, Holly. Thanks for having me. I love that you are focusing on teaching kids about the joy of being on their bike. Yeah, I love it. It's very rewarding, and I like it even more, even more than I thought I would. Interesting. So have you always been a cyclist? No, uh, definitely not. I mean, like most kids, I had a bike that I took around the neighborhood, which I felt was really far away, but you know, it's probably like half a mile. Um, (laughs) uh, and just feeling that little tiny bit of freedom that I think a lot of kids feel is pretty great. And then I didn't really start riding until college and after college. And when did the, when did you get the bug to do a long tour? Um, in college, I had a boss, I worked for the outdoor program. Um, for some reason they hired me, even though I didn't really know that much, I was very enthusiastic and I was learning and they hired me and I had a boss that rode his bike across the U S and that just like blew my mind. We were on like the first mountain bike trip I'd ever been on. It was a weekend mountain biking trip, my first time mountain biking. And, uh, I was like, wait, you did what? And it just didn't even occur to me that that was possible to link roads together to go across the country. So of course I peppered him with questions like people do now that I know that. And that sort of, that sort of planted the seed, I guess, just that that was even possible. And I was like, I wonder if maybe one day, like I could do that or something like that. And, uh, it just kind of, stayed and grew, I guess. And then of course it happened. <laughs> yeah. 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 And then I, years after that, I did a couple tours. I toured down the West coast and a tour in Alaska and the Yukon. And then finally across the country myself, um, years after I first learned that that was even a possibility. So tell us about your first trip. Uh, my very first trip was in, um, the Yukon territory in Canada and Alaska. I was working for the summer there as like a day bike tour guide, but like for cruise ships, they come in and you take them on just a day, day ride. And, uh, and that was really fun. Tourism industry wasn't exactly for me, um, but it was really enjoyable also. Uh, and a friend I made there, we got touring bikes and did a loop and you can go, it's like 360 miles and you make like two turns. And I remember the first day I was like, I love bike touring. This is amazing. Like to go from point A to point B, I had like a Bob trailer. I had like so much heavy stuff I didn't need. Um, you know, it was like five or six days, I guess. And he was like, well, we'll just see how you feel like after we do some Hills. And six days later, I was still just 
totally in love. We saw like bobcats and moose and deer, like all in one day, elk, wolves, bears. Um, and it's like, we had freezing rain for two days. It was like kind of scary and parts of it were terrible, but I was still totally hooked. And the very end of that, you ended Haynes and you can take the ferry back to Skagway. So you can make it a loop with a ferry ride, which is also just a super great bike door. So that was the very first one. (laughs) I mean, that's a wild first trip. And how long did that take you? Um, I think it was just like six days. I want to say that was was a long time ago now. Like, Yeah. yeah. And you got to experience so much wildlife, which is truly incredible. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was great. Okay. So then what happened? What was the next trip? Uh, well, the same friend that I made there, um, he and I, you know, seasonal jobs, you work for the summer and then, uh, it was 2009. So the economic crisis was happening. So I was looking for jobs at a, uh, ski place, which I'd worked the previous winter, but like no one was really skiing, you know, um, with the 2008, 2009 housing crisis. So like seasonal jobs were just not what they were before. And so mm-hmm. we decided we we're going to bike down the coast, the Pacific coast. So I ordered the maps from adventure cycling. And like, I didn't, I mean, I kind of knew what I was doing. Like I knew how to camp and stuff, but I didn't go. I was, <laughs> I grew up in Tennessee. So I thought the coast, like the Gulf coast, like Alabama, Florida, I was like, the coast is flat coasts are flat. Um, not knowing, not realizing the geography of the Pacific coast. And I was like, it'll be warm and flat because coasts are warm and flat. Well, it's not the Gulf coast, of course. (laughs) And I I studied the maps more before we left and I talked to people. So I did get more prepared, but, uh, so we left, I left my car, um, just outside of Vancouver with some friends and he and I biked all the way to San Diego, um, over like six weeks. And, and part of that trip where it was really hard. I mean, we were really cold and wet. We started in, uh, I think October, I think like October, like 10th or somewhere in there. And then we ended uh, in thanks- on Thanksgiving at his uncle's house in San Diego. And I remember thinking I was never going to be warm and dry again in my life. I mean, mm-hmm. it was, there was parts that were pretty rough and we were, we didn't have very much money. So we were like dumpster diving for food, like only camping out. We didn't stay in like a single hotel the whole six weeks. Um, so it was, it was, there were parts of that were rough, but I still, I guess I still loved it because I kept going. <laughs> and you must've learned a ton on that trip. Like that sounds like that's the trip that you seasoned yourself to resiliency. Yeah, that and also just realizing like, okay, if I get a hotel room one time, I'm not like weak sauce. Like it's totally normal to want to be warm and dry. Um, and my friend, you know, he was from Minnesota. He had like Carhartts and a hoodie and he was fine. And I was just over there in all my clothes shivering. Um, so I learned about, you know, getting better gear and calculating my mileage better and resting when I needed to. Yeah, all those things. I learned a lot on that trip. Um and, and also just fell in love with West Coast because it's absolutely amazing. And is that what led you to do a longer tour from California to Columbia? Uh, no, not really. I mean, after that trip, I actually worked in a bike shop for two years because I realized I needed, uh, I wanted to learn more about the mechanics of my bike um, because I wanted to be self-sufficient and be able to fix things myself. And I was just sort of very um, enthralled by the mechanics of the bicycle. Like they're Mm. very beautiful in their simplicity. Um, you know, they can get complicated with suspension and stuff, but like, they're really just such efficient and beautiful machines. 
Um, so I, I did that. I worked in a bike shop and then I was like, okay, this is great. I raced my mountain bike for a bit. That was great. But I, I definitely wanted to, to do a longer trip. And I read um, Barbara Savage's Miles from Nowhere. And that was really what inspired me to do a longer trip. Um, the idea that you could bike around the world still hadn't occurred to me, kind of like the first boss that rode his bike across the country. I was like, oh, I didn't think you could link roads up to do that. And Barbara Savage and her husband rode around the world, I think in the 60s. And that didn't occur to me that you could link roads up in that way. So I, uh, so that planted the seed and I wanted to do that. As soon as I read that book, I was like, I'm going to do that. I'm going to ride around the world on my bike, the whole world, all the way around. Not sure my route, you know, this is like 2000, I don't know, 11 or so that I was like, okay, I'm going to save my money. Got to do a couple other things I want to do in life. I wanted to get my master's. Um, so I did that. I worked on a farm. I got my master's. I saved my money and I left to go around the whole world on my bike. And I made it from my house in California, where I now live, and a couple couple moves and life changes in that uh, span. I'm um, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then, yeah, I got to Southern Chile, and then that's when COVID happened. So, mm. so you started that trip in 2019. Mm-hmm. The beginning of 2019. So that was how many years in the making? Oh God, I think like six maybe yeah all yeah. all included like the scheming and dreaming and saving money was a big big thing um so yeah and then yeah life and I worked on a ranch and things happened and uh but yeah so it took a long time to plan and then 14 months in <laughs> had to take a big pause yeah so tell us about how that trip started when you left California did you plan to tour the world at that time before the pandemic hit and you had to like put a pause on it but were your intentions to tour the world they were yeah I wanted to go all the way around the world South America first and then I had a a rough route planned out for uh the to go to Africa from the south to the north and then Europe leave my way uh north through the the stands and uh southeast asia and so yeah i planned to be gone 3 to 3 and a half years and where were you when you found out the tr- like a little bit of information something about the pandemic like when did that start for you and where were you um it started in chile and uh two of my friends two of my botanist friends had come to visit and so I hadn't seen them in a year and they came and we, I took time off the bike. We, they rented a truck and we went to look at plants basically. And they're like, yeah, this thing is happening. And like, people are wearing face masks and buying lots of hand sanitizer. And that was in the beginning of February. And we were all kind of like, huh, okay, that's a thing that's happening. Um, flight, you know, everything, everyone was kind of just going about business as usual. It's a really remote area of Patagonia. And then, um, and then after that, my husband was visiting me on my trip. We had previously planned that. We just, I kind of happened to have back-to-back visitors, which most of the time on my trip, I was alone. So we were in the back country for like four or five days, you know, no cell phone service, just living our lives, biking, camping, looking at all the amazing scenery. And we got to a cafe and kind of got caught up on the Wi-Fi and was like, oh, wow, things are, things had changed drastically in five days. Mm. Um, so there's a big WhatsApp group. There's like a 250 person WhatsApp group of cyclists in South America. And everyone's like getting flights home. And I'm like, like, that seems a bit extreme. (laughs) And I thought, I I thought it was a little overreacting. And then I read the news because I just was too behind and booked a flight for, I think two days after that. And you came back. Yeah. Yeah. So it was very sudden. I mean, things change very quickly. Yeah. And how was it adjusting to having to put that 
tour on pause? Um, parts of it were actually okay because I was, I was really tired. I had really pushed my itinerary too hard. I'd gone a bit too fast, um, and kind of got my body into a little bit of a hole that I was having a hard time recovering from. Um, so, and I, you know, had missed my husband. So part of that was okay. I was like, I'm okay to sleep for two weeks. Mm. Um, and then once that wore off, I, I was pretty sad. I was like, went through some depression of, you plan for something for so long and then it gets halted by a global pandemic. And that's, and I know other people are in the same boat, but it's a hard pill to swallow. Mm. Yeah. Especially the amount of time that you had put into planning that trip. I'm sure it was an adjustment as well as feeling happy to see your husband and have rest. (laughs) Yeah. 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 All those, all those years of planning, but you know, I think it made it easier in a way that it was sort of everybody, like we were all on pause, the whole world mm-hmm. was grounded. Not, not that I wanted everyone to have a hardship, but if I had gotten injured and had to come home and it was, everyone was going about life as normal, but I was on pause for my life dream. I think that would have been extremely hard. Mm-hmm. Whereas like, it was like, everyone was on pause on grounded and it just was what it was. There's nothing I could do about it. So it kind of made it a little easier to accept. Yeah. A little less a personal and more like, collectively everybody was feeling it so you could mm-hmm. all kind of we could all kind of commiserate with each other and of course in our community at warm showers we um you know we felt that very deeply amongst our community yeah 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 definitely so what was it like on that tour for the amount of time that you were by yourself traveling as a a woman alone who um it was, it was everything. It was all the feelings. <laughs> it was all the things. Um, sometimes it was, I felt like it was a little bit of a superpower. It was amazing. I could just roll into a town and ask for a place to camp and people would find me a safe place, you know, like at a, you know, little store or something and people would help me out. I think more because I was a woman and because I was by myself. Um, but I was definitely on my guard really all the time. I mean, I kind of like went through a little bit of a very fearful phase in Mexico where I was just on super guard, a little bit of paranoia, uh, paranoia and uh, just kind of like avoided men in a way, which is, which is not a great way to travel and makes it, it, it kind of hard to do that. And so I kind of got over that, the paranoia. I was like, okay, I can either choose to be very worried or choose to be cautious. And so I sort of changed my mindset a little bit to be properly cautious, but not always afraid. Um, and then, you know, of course you get like, you get cat called like crazy sometimes like in Guatemala, that was a real culture shock. Um, cause it hadn't happened to me in Mexico. And as soon as I crossed the border, I was just like, what is happening? This is awful. This is so terrible. I felt so vulnerable. Um, and then I talked to some more people and, uh, realized that it's just, it wasn't me. Like they weren't cat calling me. It's just like part of the culture. They like talked to a lot of women that mm-hmm. way, locals and foreigners. So you know, you slowly figure out a level of comfort and customs and cultures in each country that you're in and figure out how being a solo woman is going to be received sometimes with just wide eyes and disbelief and sometimes just like, oh, that's cool. It's fine. And what an amazing experience to experience different cultures, right? And keep your mind open to just understand that how we do it in the U.S. is very different than other parts of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing thing that I feel privileged to see more closely from a bicycle when you get invited to people's uh, parades and dance practices for like their patron saint parade and to their parents' house for dinner. And that wouldn't happen if I was driving a car. Mm. 
Yeah, that's beautiful. That's a really great way to put it. Today's episode is brought to you by BikeFlights.com, the leading bicycle shipping service and bike box supplier for cyclists. You'll enjoy low costs, excellent service, and on-time delivery with every shipment, and you get preferred handling for your high-value bikes, wheels, and gear. As a brand built around a love for the outdoors, they are committed to reducing environmental impact, and every Bike Flights shipment is carbon neutral. Join the nearly 1 million cyclists who have used Bike Flights to ship their bikes, wheels, and gear with confidence since 2009, and see how easy it is to book, manage, and track all of your shipments. Visit bikeflights.com forward slash warm showers today for more information and to book your shipment. Now back to the show. And so once you left Mexico and you were in Guatemala or beyond that, you know, what, what was it like experiencing? Well, actually, I'll just rephrase that question. What was your, your favorite experience in South America? Like where, where yeah. did you love the most? Oh, there's so, I mean, there's so many good places. I think I kind of have a favorite of each country, like a favorite moment or two in each country. Um, Cause each place is so different. Um, I did really have a great time in Colombia. And uh, when I wrote about it, I was like, you're not supposed to have a favorite child, but mine is Colombia <laughs> because the people were just um, so gracious and had such warm hospitality and like so genuine. And it was like, my first day there, people just like kept giving me stuff and it wasn't about the gift. It was just like the gesture that they just, they wanted to make sure I had a good time and it's easy to do there. It's absolutely stunning. It's the second most ecologically diverse country in the world. And, uh, and the, but the people were just amazing. Like the food is amazing. They, they like to party. It definitely like to party and you are definitely invited. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was a real plus just meeting people. I actually stay with some warm showers. hosts, like two two nights in a row or maybe three nights in a row in Colombia, And that was just extra amazing just to be invited into a family like that. Um, you know, crowding around the laptop to watch Colombia play Chile on the uh, soccer game. And it was like, it's such a collective experience. It's um, yeah, it's just an amazing place. It's beautiful, stunning. And the people are um, almost aggressively hospitable. They're like, are you okay? Do you need anything? Do you need a place to stay? I'm like, no, I'm good. They're like, no, come here, come stay at my house. <laughs> I love it. You've convinced me. And I'm sure a lot of listeners, if you haven't been to Colombia, you should put that on your list. Yeah. Yeah. And I I hope people go and, and like bike there because, you know, if you go by car, it's just, it's not the same. It's not the and same. I, mm-hmm. I don't want it to be ruined by tourism, which unfortunately some places do like they start catering to a different group where it's so hard to find like what the culture of the country even is. Cause there's all these layers of, um, things that cater to what, you know, Europeans and North Americans. Um, so I, and I love that about there. It's just like so warm. I mean, I stayed at this, there's like one story. I stayed at this, um, it's like called Bomberos. It's like a fire station and it's like, you can kind of stay at them sometimes, not all the time. And so I stopped at one, it was like dark and I was really hoping I could stay there. I don't think there was even a hostel in town. This is, I can't remember the name of the town. So I show up and I'm like, Hey, can I camp here? I, I don't need anything at all. Maybe a little bit of water. I have everything I need. And the chief is like, oh yeah, totally fine. Like fans wearing, it's pretty hot. He's like, okay, here's the key. Like there's a town, like the town, whole town is having a party. It's our patron saint. Here's the key. Wait for me in the morning. Cause this is my only key 
to the fire station. And I'm like, okay. Like we talked for like five minutes. He wrote down my name and that was it. And so he's like, here's the shower. Here's the little courtyard. And uh, so I stayed there and then I joined the town for the party and the party ended up going until literally five in the morning, like concert style music and salsa dancing. I mean, I had to go to bed earlier than that. Um, but I was just by myself in the courtyard of this fire station. But that kept happening to me all the time where people are like, oh, here's the key to my house. It's my only key. So like, wait for me to get back. And you're like, okay, that's just incredible. <laughs> I can't believe how open you are. And it, made, it was inspiring to me to be a more generous and open person. Yeah, that's amazing. So you mentioned you wrote about it. So did you journal during your trip or, or blog? Yeah, yeah, I did both. I have a journal and then I have a blog that I really enjoyed writing. And uh, I'm actually, I'm working on a book about my trip, which I'd always planned to write because I love writing. Um, and I've gotten good feedback on its rough drafts, but I'm still working on it. Um, so yeah, so blog, journal, blog, and book. Love it. Love it. We'll put a link in the show notes to your blog so people can go and check it out. Cool. Yeah, that'd be great. And of course, let us know when your book comes out. We would love to support you. Yeah, great. Okay, I will. I will. I hope uh, I'm going to give it, send it to some publishers hopefully later this year. And I really hope somebody publishes it. Yeah, we have a lot of members in our community that have published books on their tours. So one thing, uh, and I'll kind of just put this out there, is I'm hoping to collect a list of books that our community have published and you know, create a list that people can access. So stay tuned for that because then of course you can hit one of their publishers. And since you know that they're already supporting the cyclist community. Yeah, that's a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. I've started making a preliminary list, um, to put smaller ones to send it to. And I'm just trying to like manifest it being awesome. I'm like, that's going to go on Oprah's book club. It's going to be really, it's going to go big. I'm just going to put that out there. Put it out there. Use your voice, call it in. I actually recently finished a book. So I'm in the exact same process, like a personal book. It's a memoir. And so I'm, I'm in the same process. I've got my list. I'm ready to start querying soon. Oh yeah. Well, that's good. You're, you're definitely ahead of me, but I'm, I'm just learning about the whole, you know, the, um, the book proposal, like I'm like starting to put that together, oh, yeah. even though the book isn't done. Interestingly but, yeah. enough, the book proposal, I got a lot of edits. I've completed all the edits for my book, but the book proposal, just the, the, the reviewers that I have, the editors I have like ripped it to shreds. They're like, oh, wow. oh, you need to do this whole thing from scratch. And as you know, the book proposal is like 30 pages. So it's not uh-huh. a small amount of writing. No. Um, and so I've basically been given all the instructions on how to do the whole thing again. And I'm like, oh, no. It's a process. It's just, I I also, you know, honor the fact that I want it to be good. So I'm listening. Mm -hmm. Um, But I I long to be completed. Uh huh. Uh huh. (laughs) Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. I Um, do. I do. So, so tell me about any other, like, I'm sure you came across a lot of cyclists on your tour. And so, was there any cyclists in particular that, um, you know, struck a chord with you? Their experience was transformative for you? Oh, huh. That's an interesting question. Um, I do like to come up with little sideball questions. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was just kind of like, I was like dreaming about empanadas in my head. So I'm like, okay, mm. let's go back to people. That's not fair. Actually, you know what? There is a woman in Colorado that opened um, an empanada store and she has three of them now called Maria's Empanadas. So if you're ever in Colorado, look them up. Apparently okay. I'm told they are the most authentic that you can get in the entire state of Colorado. So for those listening okay. in Colorado, go find Maria's Empanadas. 
Yeah. Okay. I'll look for that when I'm in Colorado. I love them. Or just, <laughs> yeah. Like each country has different ones. Like Colombia has different ones in Mexico and then Chile has different ones and they're just so good. And um, I'm all about the food. So yeah. I'm sure the food memories are, um, <laughs> are, are big. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I'm also all about the food. Yeah. They also have these things called, well, they call them pastillas, which is confusing because it's also what they call cake, but there's like these little balls that have like a hard boiled egg in the middle and they're mm. like usually potato, but sometimes the cornmeal in there, like deep fried. It's like a hush puppy deep fried, but with a hard boiled egg in the middle in Colombia. Wow. And they're just like, just talking about Colombia. I'm like, God, I need one of those. Yeah. <laughs> um, but wait, let's see the cyclists. You know, I ran into a couple of cyclists and I got to ride with a couple of them for a bit. I wouldn't say anyone's story was necessarily transformative. Um, but I, I made some really good friends, you know, friends that I'm still in touch with and definitely were inspiring. Um, you know, there's a, a group of people that sort of did more off-road, smaller tours in South America instead of going like point to point. They weren't going north to south or south to north. Um, and that was a cool, just like different way to do it. You just kind of have a base camp and do these three or four day trips out of like Cusco or something like that. Um and then other people that were kind of going the distance that I got to ride with, you know, for a week or so, and then we'd go our separate ways. Um, and I, I, I rode with a couple guys. It tends to be more males out there. Um, but I rode with one woman and we had, we just had a great time. I mean, I never bike toured with a woman, like even on my cross country tour, I went with a good friend who was a guy and West coast trip. And I was, so it was so fun. We were like, okay. And she's like, okay, what kind of like sports bra do you wear? And I'm like, I've never been asked that while I'm riding my bike. <laughs> Um, so maybe not transport formative, but very inspiring. Um, mm. and a couple, couple others of like that, um, people from different places. I love it. Thank you so much for sharing all that great info. I think it's really important that we acknowledge that a lot of people, especially women are uncomfortable at the idea of touring South America alone. So I really appreciate that you're sharing your, your trip, you're experiencing, acknowledging the fear and how you moved through it, right, to change your mindset, to be more comfortable, yet still cautious, you know, what would you suggest to other women that are considering that and have not done it out of that fear? Like, what would you consider them doing to become more comfortable with doing a tour like that by themselves? Uh, yeah, I mean, I would definitely travel solo somewhere that you are more comfortable first, like do a three or four day trip, you know, from your house or from your home country or home state, um, just to get used to that feeling of being alone. And so, you know, make sure you're self-sufficient. You can fix everything you need to fix on your bike. You know, the ins and outs of your tent and tent repair and thermorest repair and all that kind of stuff. Um, definitely gave me a lot of confidence in myself. Like I knew I was okay on that front and then just creating situations and putting myself in situations that I could remind myself we're safe. I'm like, does mm -hmm. anyone, like, no one knows where I am, like in the middle of the desert. So like the likelihood of someone coming here and wanting to hurt me is, is extremely low. Like it's just, you know, you have to talk yourself back into reality. Like I was really careful with where I stayed. If I did get a room somewhere um, and just creating those situations for yourself that you can remind yourself on the logical brain side, that the likelihood of something happening to you is never zero, but it's really low. It's very minimal. Uh -huh. And so um, just, yeah, creating those situations and kidding yourself, you know, finding a really good camp spot where you're really well hidden and so then you can actually relax and you know that you're going to be okay because you took the time to find a good spot. Um, and that's, you know, that's true if you're like in the middle of the desert or um, in the jungle and, and that, that was sort of, that helped me. Um, I would definitely say, you know, encourage women to get out there because there's, 
there's really not a great reason not to. You're not more at risk out there by yourself on your bike as you are walking home from work in a city at night. It's like, you know, the it's like things happen um, and fear is not a good reason not to go. Um, and I, I was, I mean, I definitely was afraid at times, but you know, like I, like in Barbara Savage's book, this, I, this isn't a total spoiler, but they, she travels around the world and years later she is hit by a car and dies like commuting in Santa Barbara. And it's like, what if she hadn't ridden around the world? Like she mm. might've still gotten hit by a car and died on her commute. And like, that really stuck with me because it's like, wow, I could not go on this trip and something could happen to me while I'm biking a couple miles from my house. And so I kind of remind myself of that when I'm out there in like the, you know, Netherlands of the Atacama desert, I'm like, okay, well, this feels a little dangerous, but does it feel more dangerous than where I live? Like, not really. Um, so, you know, doing good research, obviously, I mean, I didn't go out unprepared. Um, you know, I was careful with the situations I got myself into and I learned some lessons when I did get myself into bad situations, um, not to do that again. Um, but I still would just encourage women to, to go for it because, uh, with some good planning and some precaution and a good mindset, it can be a, a just total success and really wonderful adventure. Beautiful. Thank you for sharing that, Holly. I, I'm really happy that we have more women coming on this podcast and talking about their experiences. I think it's important to share, you know, what, what are the hard parts? What are the good parts? How can we learn from each other to do, um, to encourage more women to do long tours? Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you have to see it to be it. And the more mm-hmm. you see women yes. out there, the more you're like, I can do this. And, and I, you know, I tell people too, it's like, I'm not, I mean, I'm a woman, obviously, but I, like, I didn't grow up camping and stuff. Like I was not an adventurer. I like played sports as a kid. My parents don't camp. Like, if you don't think you're up for it, but you want to do it, like, it's just, it's just a mindset. It's like, you can teach yourself the skills or learn the skills from other people. Um, you know, it's ordinary people can go on adventures. Like I'm an ordinary yeah. person. There's nothing special about me uh, that helped me go on this other than that. I just really wanted to, I think anyone that wants to do something if they do the steps required, they, they can do it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. Thank you so much. And um, tell people where they can find you outside of your blog. Cause we'll link that, but are you on any social media that people could connect with you? Yeah, I am. I am. I'm on Instagram, um, at Holly with an I E underscore Holly with a Y. Um, and that maybe that'll be an easier link to Holly, 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 Holly. <laughs> yeah. Holly, love Holly. It. And, uh, and that's pretty much it. Yeah. That's, that's sort of the end of my, I'm thinking about getting on Twitter to look at, uh, getting some articles published, but I haven't taken the plunge yet. Well, we will, we will include your Instagram profile and the blog and the, the link to your blog in the show notes so people can find you there. Great. Thank you again. And, and please keep us posted as your journeys continue. You never know when our paths will connect again. Yeah. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. All right, ladies, gentlemen, people, wherever you are and wherever you're listening, don't forget to leave us a rating and a review because that helps us get in front of more people. And it's amazing that we have this community of cyclists and hosts that continue to grow. So we appreciate your rating and review and we will be back. Thank you for joining us and we hope you enjoyed the show as much as we enjoyed making it. Wherever you are listening, please leave us a rating and a review as it helps us reach more cyclists and hosts around the world. 
This episode of Bike Life Podcast was brought to you by BikeFlights.com, your source for the best bicycle shipping service and bike shipping boxes. Check out their boxes from the small to the large, which is suited for any type of bicycle, whether it's a children's bike, medium-sized bike, fully assembled bike, e-bike, and any other type of gear that you have. Go to BikeFlights.com forward slash warm showers in order to check out the boxes and book your next shipment. Visit us at warmshowers.org to become a part of our community or on Instagram at warmshowers underscore org. If you would like to be a guest on the show or submit a question, please make sure to email us at podcast at warmshowers.org.